BIV Today, the podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. And before we get to today's guest, we have an upcoming event to talk to you about. Now, from progressive immigration policies to relatively low wages compared with Silicon Valley, Vancouver has become a serious draw for international firms looking to capitalize on the technology boom. Now, join our panel of experts January 22nd to discuss these challenges and opportunities ahead as the ongoing tech migration morphs our economy. For more information on this tech migration panel, go to BIV.com events, and BIV listeners can use the promo code BIV. BIV Talks 2020 for discounted tickets. That's BIV Talks 2020, all uppercase, all one word. And I also want to note that we are moving into a weekly format, so tune in next Wednesday. And we'll also be doing bonus episodes, so keep checking your feed for BIV today. Our next guest is the founding CEO of Vancouver-based e-commerce company Build Direct, and Jeff Booth is also the author of the upcoming book, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. The book, it's out January 14th and available for pre-order right now on Amazon. It proposes that the world is on a collision course between our inflationary economic system and the deflationary nature of technology. I had the chance to read this over the last few weeks. A very good read. I'd recommend it. So Jeff, before we get into all of it, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, Tyler. So tell me what exactly happens when maybe an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object in this case here. Uh, For a moment, maybe tell me what you mean by technology is deflationary. Well, Moore's Law, I I think the best way to look at that is in in your cell phone. Um, It's hard to believe that the iPhone's only been out for approximately 10 years, um, yet all that uh, happens on it, and mostly what happens on it for free, from our camera to our... uh, uh, to our maps, to to information, everything's uh, free for us, which is actually, we get more abundance um, and the cost comes down. Now, if you zoom out a little further back, further than 10 years, my first cell phone cost $2,000 in 1987. Uh, my first cell phone bill was $1,200 and all it did is made phone calls. Um, so, it's easy to see that deflationary force in a cell phone or a television or anything in technology. Um, and, and I don't think we think about economies, but if you, if you look at that deflationary force in a cell phone and you, and you drive that forward and you say, is technology deflationary? From that example, you could see, yes, yes, it seems to be so. It rides on Moore's Law which is exponentially deflationary. It gets more and more deflationary as Moore's Law doubles. And then the simple question, kind of the next question says, if technology is moving into all parts of our society and all industries, wouldn't we therefore expect the same thing that we see in a cell phone to happen everywhere? Um, and, And it raises an interesting question or a dilemma and why aren't we seeing that? Well, and that's kind of the concern. Uh, do you think that maybe those anxieties that people are experiencing right now with regards to job security, say automation, are they valid based on what we're seeing with regards to the deflationary nature of technology? Well, well what's happened to stop deflation? We've gro- always grown up with inflation. Um, we don't even question whether inflation or deflation is. So we think deflation is bad. 
um, I, I don't know if it's bad or good. It's who wins, who loses. But but my parents grew up with inflation. Their parents grew up with inflation. I grew up with inflation. And it's what we've come to count on. Inflation, the value of your currency goes down. And the value of your assets go up. And if that happens, when you buy a house, you get raises over the course of your life. You buy a house with, with dollars yesterday. Um, and you pay them back with future dollars that are worth less. And it it tends to work, and it's worked all our lives. We don't even question it. But deflation itself, is it good or bad? It just changes who wins, who loses. In deflation, uh, the currency becomes more valuable as assets and services come down in price. Um, and and I don't know why that's bad. It might be bad for certain people, might be bad, but structurally or anything else, I don't think it's a good or bad equa- uh, equation. And so if you let, if you just said, now, but we all grew up in that world. We grew up in a world where we don't even question that anymore. And and then we hit this, you said it perfectly, we hit this immovable force where technology is deflationary. And that's a fact. And it's a fact that we can't change. Um, and that means it's it, it should be sweeping across our society and things should be getting less and less expensive. But they're not. Because our governments and our institutions and everyone around are creating money and monetary and monetary easing to be able to stop that force. Um, and the and, and the byproduct of that is rising asset prices, rising food prices, rising uh, rising prices, and and, um, and anybody with access to to either leverage debt, negative interest rates, um, uh, is winning. Um, or um, and anybody without anybody below that line is losing, and they can't feel, they feel like they can't catch up. That that is the zeitgeist of our time, without people really realizing um, the the what's what's what, what's happening is that's driving the polarization that we see in the world, um, as as some people are artificially um, winning out of the monetary easing and some people are artificially losing out of the monetary easing with neither side understanding the root cause of that. So when we say that it's manifesting in this world, you can point to something, say, uh, populism in the United States, the United Kingdom is probably two of the prime examples that we're familiar with. What happens if we just continue on the course that we're on right now? (laughs) That's actually the why I wrote the book. I've been watching this unfold for about 10 years, and and predictably, you could predict the next events. How many many years, how many decades do you need to hear central banks say, we can't get inflation up? Uh, Even after printing or creating $185 trillion of debt to do do so, um, to believe... It's impossible, right? Or almost impossible. Yes, you could print $300 trillion of debt to try to do it, or monetary easing. But the secondary effects of that are only going to be driving assets uh, or polarization up more. So your, your, your question poses, in fact, that's, the to- that's ultimately the underlying topic of the book. What happens if, uh, if we don't do anything? Um, and I think election cycles are one um in that how do you how you win an election in that type of environment is create an internal enemy um and once you gain power you need a bigger external enemy 
and and if you look at Hitler's rise to power um, in in the in the 30s, um, uh, and and the subsequent events driving around across the world into World War II, it looks exactly the same. If you and if you zoom out a little and you see what's happening in the world, it feels like that's what's happening in the world. Is it, and and when you when a lot of people are missing out of economic gains or they're fearful of their jobs and they're just hanging on, they're easy easy to turn and blame somebody else. It's it's easy for politicians to prey on that. And, and here's the thing: I don't even know if the politicians are uh, in in this case in in that um, are aware of the fundamental first principles that are driving it. So do you think that Canada is somehow exempt from this? I mean, we seem to have a system. We like to pat ourselves on the back, I think, a little bit when we look at what's going on in the rest of the world. But I mean, should we be concerned right here? So so absolutely. We, uh, Canada has a stronger social safety net. So, so people don't fall as far with uh, with 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 uh, health and, and 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 but we have a stronger social safety net. So, but you can start to see it here. Um, it feels like it's about five years behind the U.S. Um, and and uh, but you can start to see it here in the last uh, in the last general election. Um, you're starting to see that polarization. Once people become polarized be, and, and they believe uh, in in in, uh, in in something, and this might not be the, it's probably as good an example as any. If you look at Israel and pa- Palestine, how do you unring that bell? Once once people have, have generational hate or division. Is really difficult to 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 change that uh, change that we we read the things that we uh, we, we tend to read the things that confer, uh, confirm our beliefs, we have confirmation bias and everything else, and we discard um, things that other people think, and so we get further and further apart, um, and kind of the route to getting further and further apart is when when people feel left out. It's easy to to drive that. You talk a lot about bias in the book, and one of the other things, as well as pattern recognition, and one of the things that kind of jumped out to me is the uh, the blockbuster example that uh, you point to here. Are you able to expand on that for listeners? Sure. Um, so, so I, yeah, in the book, I use this as an example of creative destruction, which really powers uh, power, uh, powers capitalism, and and the idea behind creative destruction is new entrepreneurs. Um, come in and and disrupt old monopolies, um, and Blockbuster isn't a good example as any, but you see it all over. And it's very very rare that the existing monopoly sees what's new in the world that's changing to be able to change their uh, and 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 so they they get caught in their own bias, and they think what's worked forever will continue to work. And so that's what gives the opportunity for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs like me, entrepreneurs like, like Steve Jobs, but Jeff Bezos. Walmart doesn't create Amazon. Blockbuster doesn't create Netflix. They miss it because what they tr- get trained to do and operate their function, it looks so different, and they become blind to what's what, what, what's happening. And and. And that gives the opportunity for entrepreneurs to break monopoly power and create a create a new monopoly or new new company in its place. But if you zoom up to to that happening in a in the world, 
wouldn't we all have the same bias against the world we lived in, which is an inflationary bias? And would we not see what's clearly biting at our nose in, in, defla- in deflation because of that same bias? We're used to, we don't question the structures that, that, that have worked for generations. We don't, we don't even question them. We build our base knowledge on top of that. And, and that's why, when, and, and I think when, when the world is moving really fast, the, the advantage goes to people who think differently. People who can, uh, people who are looking at the new, and in a world that's moving slow, you can drive. Uh, you don't have to change very fast, and in um, but in in the world that's moving really fast, the advantage goes to somebody who's really curious about um, not protecting a, a previous reality. Um, really curious about the root cause and and, and looking at uh, looking at new options. That, by the way, and and this. As, as I talk about this, it sounds negative and some of the things I'm talking about. I'm, I'm involved with a whole bunch of tech companies. I'm massively excited about the potential of tech. But that potential of tech is really clear. It takes jobs. Um, it does things more efficiently, and it'll take more and more jobs as we go forward, as AI drives into all, all, all parts of the all parts of in, industry. Um, and so if you just ask a question, unless there's massive new industries created to create net new high-paying jobs, the entire system we've relied on and we've read textbooks on, we've built our economies on, the entire system collapses if that's not true. And I'm talking globally. So for me, I've been on the technology beat here at Business in Vancouver for six years. So the idea of technology being deflationary, I, I totally understand that. I, I've also been following, say, the uh, decisions by the Bank of Canada since I became a business reporter as well. I can understand them pushing more and more towards reaching that 2% inflation goal. What you're talking about right now, it makes sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to a lot of Canadians out there right now. How do we go about getting people to kind of accept these ideas as opposed to people reverting back to maybe their, their biased state? I just had a comment from uh, from somebody who read the book who said exactly that. Said said you've prosecuted this issue really well. Everything that you've written is factual. And, and Tyler, and, and what you just said, after you read the book, it's hard to not not agree with the uh, conclusion on, on where we are. What we do about it, what we it's so easy just to go back to why, why businesses go on for a long time and drop off a cliff, the blockbuster example, is it's easy to think, Oh, you know what? People want candies with their movies or popcorn with their movies. Let's add candy aisles to the uh, to, to to Blockbuster instead of dealing with the real thing driving the change. And and so, the fear is we kick the can down the road and we keep kicking the can down the road. And what we really don't see is the second order implications of a, a world getting more and more polarized. And what happens in a world more polarized because of not doing it? But but I wish I had an answer. I have some proposed solutions in the book, um, but I wish I had an answer on how to get 
every single person to that why I wrote the book is to drive the conversation. Well, it's interesting because I, I think one of the things that you and I have spoken to, uh, about uh, before, though, is I, you can be presented with facts, you know, and maybe the first time out, if your biases state against the facts, maybe you won't accept it that first time. But maybe if you keep being exposed to it again and again, do you think that's just going to be the key that people slowly can change their biases over a, a long period of time? But then is the concern that maybe it's going to be too long of a period? For, you know, th- it could be too late. I hope I, I, I hope so. I hope that uh, that I hope this drives uh, th- this book and and launching it drives a really big debate. I actually don't care if uh, if if people take the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would I'd like to de- debate the facts rather than rather than a whole bunch of things that are two orders of re- magnitude removed from um, because we're not talking about the core issue and and. If we agree on the if we agree on the facts on the core issue, then the solutions to be able to transition just might be a lot better. Um, so so but but it was going going to Salim who quoted on the book Salim uh, Ishmael who uh, sing- former guest on the podcast as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah and Singularity University and I wrote the book Exponential Organizations. He called me uh, um, after reading it, and he said, um, "I couldn't put the book. Da- I couldn't put the book down." He said, and he quoted on the book. He said, "Your world view will transform instantly," and and this is coming from somebody in Singularity University that's talking about one side of the equation, right? One side of the tech- technology abundance, but but not understanding how unless our uh, unless the way we run economies change. We will never get to that abundance, and so, so I think that meant a lot from somebody that might not have seen it, and then and then kind of changed their mind on, on this. And I hope that uh, I hope that it drives that conversation. I'll tell you, Salim's comments uh, before about say transportation and real estate it actually kind of changed my views on things as well. So I think that it's a great kind of credible source uh, to be coming back to you and kind of bolstering what you're saying here mm, in this book. So uh, the other thing that, that I'm curious about, maybe we can talk about the solutions in just a moment, but with regards to I, I guess the, the the state of things, like what happens if we pursue a deflationary sort of system? You said. A, a couple of weeks ago at a fireside chat that capitalism would work just fine if we embrace deflation. What, what did you mean by that? Well, first, first, kind of back up a little bit. So, so today, in the last twenty years, to stop deflation from happening, we've created one hundred and eighty-five trillion dollars of, of debt worldwide, and and that that increased GDP per year by forty-six trillion. But, but what I would what I proposition in the book is. When we look at where we are today in the cycle, because of the exponential trend of technology, it, deflation is just starting, right? It's it's about to get way worse, and that means we're so. If we do nothing, then when when you see Mar- when you see different uh, the Fed coming out and talking openly about going negative interest rates, where you where you lose money when you put money into the bank. Um, you you kind of question that's not that's not capitalism when when you can't actually place a bet and make an informed bet that's not capitalism um, capitalism forces uh, failure 
Um, and, 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 and when I say, if we let things happen on a natural trend, if we let deflation happen, people who want to work, wanted to work and take, would take more of the economic pie. People who were in, um, in, had ingenuity, everything else, they would take more of the economic pie, just like they did before we had this warped crony capitalism. They wouldn't just take, they wouldn't take it at the rate of, uh, that they take it today because of the because of the manipulation of currencies and people who didn't and and fell off that kind of ladder because of technology displacing jobs so uh, so fast wouldn't fall as far because and again it, um it, here's probably an interesting thing to look at economics is driven by scarcity um or or perceived scarcity um it's not driven by value, and and, and 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 I know that sounds hard to hard to to think about, but the most valuable thing in all of our lives is the air we breathe, but it's abundant, um, and therefore it's hard to build a build a business around the air we breathe. You can build a business around the air we breathe underwater. You could bring build a, a business around the air we breathe if it became scarce. But you can't build a business around the air we breathe, even though it's the most valuable thing in our life. And and technology is taking more and more things to abundance. It, um, in fact, most of the companies that people use and are listening to this po- podcast, they're celebrating that abundance in, crea- in, in, in driving that. Whether it's Google's free information or map service or anything else you're u- u- using there, or Amazon's lower and lower prices and then all of a sudden they add movies that are free too and then they add free sh- uh, shipping with pri- uh, prime your these these companies we're using every day or or apple service and all the apps that we use on on on, on the phone we're celebrating deflation that is it, that's just starting it's about to it, it's about to get a lot more as uh, and 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 i know it breaks people's brains but it's but it's hard to dismiss that evidence all around us. So as we wrap up here, is there a, a possible solution uh, that you can share about how we should be approaching the, this you know kind of collision course that we're on? So so I'd, I'd say the first thing is, is empathy on both sides. I don't I I don't. Uh, I don't buy the fact. So, so today there's a whole bunch of teachers, firefighters, uh, uh, young people who can't afford housing, um, and um, and and they're getting left out. And and we would look to that in in previous cycles. We'd look at, well, just work harder. I worked harder, right? That isn't the thing that's driving them getting left out. What's driving them getting left out is. Is when U.S. changes their currency value um, and prints a bunch of money, and China does the same. Everybody knows that China needs to devalue the currency, so they take money out of China and they put it into our real estate. And 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 that monetary easing is driving real estate really high, and a lot of people are and jobs and 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 because of deflation, wages aren't going up uh, as fast as that's happening. And so that's the fundamental problem. And so I would say first empathy on it's not what you think that's driving it. Um, then, then what might be driving it? Um, if it's if it is 
what I what what I've I've talked about it with deflation. We need to talk. We need to talk about solutions in a different um, in a different way. We need to talk about the transition to 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 solutions. One solution that I propose is why don't we just let it happen? Right? We won't we won't stop it no matter what. It's uh, it's like it's it, <laughs> I said in the book. It's like uh, trying to flap your arms to fly to stop gravity. Sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, and. And this is coming. This is happening. It's all around us, anyways. So, so why are we fighting, spending so much energy, causing this, all of the second-order consequences of fighting it, when when it's clear in front of our face, any, anyway? So, so that may be a solution. But I, I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd propose we at least start talking about the root causes of this. Um, instead of the second order consequences. Uh, so for listeners out there, uh, if any of this kind of rattles their brain to a certain degree, I, I really would recommend uh, pursuing the book. Uh, you can get it January 14th. Uh, it's uh, really kind of uh, changed the way that I'm uh, kind of perceiving things as well. And uh, Jeff, fascinating to read. And I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, Tyler. That is, Jeff. <laughs> that is Jeff Booth. He is the author of The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back next next week. Until then, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and tell your friends all about BIV today. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.